I looked out the window and it was snowing. <laughs> but uh, I don't think we're going to need shovels today. We are uh, continuing our uh, series. In fact, we're, we're going to go uh, next week. We are leading up into Easter. And uh, I think these two series will sort of dovetail rather well. Um, next Sunday, of course, is uh, Palm Sunday. And the following is Easter, if I've got my calendar right. right. I usually don't have it right, but I, I think. I've double-checked this one. Uh, so it has, it, it has uh, snuck up on us, but um, uh, we will uh, turn our attention towards the cross. And by the end of today, we will have started that, that movement. So I want to uh, expand our conversations today, and I'm uh, really just describing a group of, a group of women. Uh, so we have the, the two benches uh, this week again. But I want, to, want us to reimagine the ministry of Jesus. I, I think um, perhaps we get a particular picture in our head that maybe uh, by the time we leave today will be a little different. And I use this word reimagine because even when the Bible tells us something specific, uh, if, if we think of the Gospels, a story of Jesus, and if it says that Jesus does something, there are still a lot of details that we kind of fill in in our heads. Uh, is it in a town or the countryside? If it's the countryside, are there trees or are there wheat fields or are there grass? Is it a hill? Is it a flat space? Is it by the lake? Uh, if it's in a town, how big is the town? Is it in the marketplace? Is it by a house? What does the house look like? All these kind of things. We fill in those details in our heads and we have our own pictures. Uh, each person probably has a different set of pictures for what these scenes look like. Uh, sometimes they're informed by movies, perhaps if, uh, by archaeology. Uh, as you go and you, you look and you uh, see an article about a mosaic from the time, or you get a sense of how big a synagogue was because they've uncovered the foundation of a synagogue. And so you, you might get some pictures that way. It could be that you've just read a lot of children's books to children or grandchildren. And you develop pictures of what life was like in the time of Jesus, in the time of the Bible, based on those picture books. Um, but, and so when we, we hear, for instance, that Jesus heals a blind man, nobody imagines that the blind man is wearing jeans and cowboy boots, right? The Bible doesn't tell us what he's wearing, but as we try and picture it, we can rule out blue jeans and cowboy boots. Um, and, and so what I want us to, to think about today is what are some of those images that we have in our heads? Be, because it's surprising, I think, that we can get very defensive about some of these ideas uh, when really they're, uh, they've been developed subconsciously, not even really aware that that movie or that book uh, was, was doing that. For instance, uh, in children's books, I don't know why, but Jesus almost always has a blue sash, right? You can pick Jesus out of any crowd because he has a blue sash on him. It's the uniform language of children's books 
to portray Jesus. And, uh, and so maybe, if you've read a lot of children's books, uh, you'll picture Jesus walking around wearing white clothes and a blue sash. Um, so I want to put some pictures up here on the screen for us and um, take, a, take a look at them. And I'd like you to consider how, they, how well they match the way you picture this scene or if they match the way that you picture that Jesus looked. So here in the first picture, we have Jesus walking with the disciples. Could be anywhere. Uh, but you have to make a decision here. This is a scene from a movie. Uh, but is there, there are two guys standing there at the front. So which one is Jesus? The guy on the left or the guy on the right? Okay. There's no blue sash, which is a little disappointing. Uh, but which one looks the most like the Jesus that you have in your mind. Right. Um, okay, hands up for, for left. Is it the guy on the left? How about the guy on the right? Anyone? So, a few. Okay, so uh, interesting. All right, uh, second picture we have here. This is a fairly classic uh, portrayal of Jesus. It's after his resurrection, so he's glowing um, a, a little bit, um, and he's wearing all white, um, that helps with the glow, I guess. One of the things I'm interested in, and I'll point out as we go through these pictures, is that Jesus' hair is always very beautiful. Um, it, it's long, shoulder length, a little longer than shoulder length, wavy, and always in place. Um, so uh, we see that here, and as I say, this is in the upper room after the, the resurrection. Okay, we have a, a third painting uh, I zoomed in quite a bit on this one, but uh, of Jesus and his disciples in a wheat field. And you will uh, perhaps remember the story of they're walking through this field of wheat on the Sabbath, and the disciples start eating the grain. You can see them doing that in the background. Uh, the Pharisees happen to see it. They get upset, and they say, hey, you're, you're not just eating grain. You're harvesting, and that is outlawed in the law. Uh, you're in trouble. And so Jesus is looking very uh, tranquil, very serene. His hair is still nicely in place, and he's wearing blue in this picture. Uh, the Pharisees have bony, pointy fingers, uh, crooked noses, hooked noses, and uh, long beards. They kind of look grumpy. So we have these portrayals of Jesus and of the, the Pharisees that form in our uh, minds. I have just a couple more. This one I find really interesting. It's from another movie. Uh, it looks a little bit different. This is the first one, surprisingly, the first one where Jesus has black hair instead of brown. Um, and, and I can't tell you exactly what it is, but this looks to me, this one looks very different from the other pictures, uh, whether it's the clothing, uh, the hairstyles, I, I, just the diversity of, of men in the picture. Uh, I'm not... I'm not sure, but uh, uh, that's, uh, that one looks a little different. And then the last one is um, Da Vinci's famous Last Supper. And uh, as famous as this is, uh, Jesus in this picture is uh, very feminine looking, actually. Uh, or perhaps you might say very gentle. Uh, this is him here. And uh, he has uh, almost orange long 
curly, wavy hair in, in this picture. Uh, he does have the blue sash again, and, uh, but, but it's as famous as it is, it's probably a poor representation of him. And it's, um, the clothing is more uh, European than it is than the other pictures we've seen that tend to be more robes and Middle Eastern. So uh, lots of, but as famous as this is, it may be influential in forming your picture of what Jesus and his disciples uh, look like. Uh, there's a, a joke that's told about this painting where Jesus asks the uh, uh, person who owns the, the house, he says, I'd like a table for 26, please. And they say, oh, do you need 26 mils? No, just 13. We're all going to sit on one side so we can get our photo taken. But uh, uh, anyways. <clears throat> so if you, if you found um, some of those pictures, we'll come back to this, if you found that some of those pictures looked right, and some of them looked wrong to you, then that's because you have a particular image of Jesus in your imagination that maybe you didn't even realize was there. Uh, One thing you may notice about these pictures is that uh, they're pictures of Jesus and his disciples, is how often Jesus is alone with the twelve. In every single one of those pictures, it is Jesus alone with the twelve. And I think the reason uh, artists and filmmakers portray Jesus and the twelve like this is that this is their uh, imagination. This is their picture in, in their minds of how Jesus interacted with the, the 12, that they went around together, the 13 of them, from place uh, to place uh, around Galilee. And there were certainly times where that was the case. I think of when they got in a boat together to go over uh, to the other side or travel somewhere. It was Jesus and the 12 that would get in the boat. Sometimes we're told that Jesus was alone with the 12. But I think if we need to be told that Jesus was alone with the Twelve, it's because most of the other time he wasn't alone with the Twelve. And so I wonder what your picture of Jesus is during his ministry. Is it, as these pictures are, Jesus and the Twelve spending a lot of time in a small group by themselves uh, traveling from uh, town to town? Uh, I want to look at our text this morning, and although we read a lot from Luke chapter 7, and I think it's a wonderful contrast there, we'll talk about Luke 7 in our Bible, in our growth groups this week, Um, but I want to focus on Luke 8 verses 1 through 3, and I'm just going to read that for you again. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And so the picture described here is not of Jesus and the twelve walking from one village to another uh, around Galilee. Rather, 
it is Jesus traveling with the 12, but also with this group of women uh, as they travel around Galilee. Um, and while the, and so it's a picture of men and women together walking along the road, listening to Jesus teach. While the 12 were certainly called to uh, become leaders in the church after Jesus' death, uh, the women also fulfill a very important role in Jesus' ministry. And so there are several things that I want to observe about this text. The first is that these women are with Jesus consistently. Their names and their stories are known. So it's not just that Jesus and the Twelve walk into town and a mixed group of people come out to see them, and then they walk to another town and another group of people of men and women come out to see them. Rather, there are particular women that are walking with Jesus. And the Twelve, the writer of the Gospel, these women are known to be followers of Jesus. We're given their names, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, amongst uh, many others. So they just pick out three of them. So they were with Jesus uh, enough for people to know who they were and for them to be recognized and for their stories to be known. When I say their stories are known, do you notice the way they're introduced there, that there are some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases? And so these are not just um, random women. They're women that Jesus has interacted with at some point, that he has healed, that he has uh, cast out evil spirits. And as a result of that, they uh, make a decision to follow him, to, to be committed to his message and to the kingdom of God. At least one of these women comes from an important household. Uh, her husband manages the house of Herod. Uh, so we've, we've seen that the gospel has worked its way into Herod's household. That would be uh, quite seditious. Remember how the father of this Herod, what he wanted to do to Jesus was a baby? Right? Wanted to kill him. And now members of influential, important members of his own household are um, followers or, or have a, has a wife who's a follower of Jesus, not just sitting at home studying her Bible thinking, oh, I think this talks about Jesus, but someone who has left her home to go and follow Jesus. Uh, These women are supporting Jesus and his mission financially out of their own means. Uh, So that's uh, important for us to note that uh, sometimes we perhaps overlook uh, some of the logistics that were required for Jesus' ministry. Um, we think if he can turn you know, five loaves and fishes into enough to feed 5,000, he was never hungry. Uh, but we also know that the temptation in the wilderness, right, was for him to turn stones into bread. He said, no, it's not for my own benefit. So he, he didn't have the option of just doing miracles for his own comfort and his own benefit. And so these women are supporting his mission financially. And then the fifth uh, observation that I have to make is this, these women left their expected social space of home and family. Uh, 
Greco-Roman culture was very structured in the roles of different people, different classes, different genders. There were certain expectations. And these women are bucking that because they have walked away uh, literally from their home and family, their roles and responsibilities to follow Jesus on the road from place to place. Uh, Typically, when we think of this kind of um, sacrifice, I guess, or devotion, we think of the fishermen, right, leaving their nets. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, Jesus says, come follow me. And so they leave their nets and they follow Jesus. But what we have in this description of these women is women who were healed, women that had evil spirits cast out of them. They said, okay, I'm not staying at home. I've got to learn more. I've got to be part of this. I've got to be involved in this. Now, from a first century Jewish point of view, this is every bit as shocking as um, if if you think back to what we read about in chapter 7, the woman that comes into the Pharisee's house, Simon the Pharisee, and she's weeping over Jesus' feet. Then she lets her hair down, which is uh, really scandalous, and she wipes his feet with her hair. She's kissing his feet and then pouring perfume on them. And and maybe that scene would make you uncomfortable, it certainly made the people who were there uncomfortable uh, that this was inappropriate. But, and so we can agree with the Pharisees that that's an uncomfortable scene to be witnessing. Okay? That kind of intimacy and affection and adoration. Right? That would be strange. If you walked in and your son or your daughter was you know, in the middle of this, like that would that'd be fireworks, right? And, and so, <laughs> no, there's nothing going on. I'm just cleaning his feet with my hair, Mom. You know, like... <clears throat> That's not going to fly. And, and we, we agree that this is uncomfortable. But what we don't realize is that these women leaving their homes to go and follow Jesus would be just as scandalous in that society. And, and so I, I said I don't know all the way that Jesus provided for himself during his ministry. Uh, we, we might recall that the apostle uh, Judas was responsible for the money bag, right? So they do have some, uh, some money available to them. Um, maybe all of the apostles chipped in from their 401ks. Um, I don't know if they passed the hat after they fed the 5,000 or, or exactly how they did it, but they were able to get money as people uh, recognized the need and gave to Jesus so that he and his disciples uh, could eat. So we're not told that, but what we are told is that these women provide out of their own pockets that enabled Jesus' ministry to take place. If Jesus ran out of food, like just, just think, if Jesus couldn't provide for himself and the 12, then his ministry is going to stop, right? All right, everybody home, plant your gardens. When we've got enough food, we'll get out on the road again. Um, but through the generosity of these women, he was able to continue his ministry traveling from town to town around Galilee. The other thing that I roll, and this is a little bit of conjecture on my part, but I, I, as I picture what is described here in these verses, as they walk into town, this group of, of Jesus with, his men, with these men and women who are following him, who are disciples of his, can you imagine the powerful testimony that these women had? Uh, So there were certainly some of the apostles that had a powerful, life-changing encounter with Jesus. Um, I I think of Matthew or or Levi, 
you know, who was a tax collector. They said, nope, I'm okay, I'm giving that up. I'm going to go follow Jesus. That's a radical change from supporting the kingdom of Rome to following uh, this Messiah, the kingdom in the kingdom of God. And so he has a story that he can tell. But these women who have been healed, who have had evil spirits cast out of them, as, as Jesus comes in, they can, they can tell people, oh, you should listen to him. Right? Let me tell you what he did to me. Uh, they could go and round people up. They could find those who were sick and say, well, you should come and meet this guy because I was sick. Let me tell you. And this is how he changed for me. This is going to make your life so much better. And so that they are able to testify to what Jesus and God through Jesus has done in their lives as they travel with Jesus from town to town. They give Jesus a certain credibility that the twelve couldn't. Now, if this was the only reference that we had to these women, we might think they only followed him for a short time in Galilee. And we go, well, that's nice. Um, that doesn't require, if I'm going to be, you know, if I want to follow their example, you know, I just, I go on a short-term mission trip, right? I'll go down to Honduras with the Baxter Institute. I'll spend some time there and come back. And, hey, it's just like I was one of those women uh, described in Luke chapter 8. But uh, they were in it for the long haul. If we go forward to Luke chapter 23, and 24, uh, so at the end of 2023, uh, we encounter these women again at the cross of Jesus. And um, you, you can see that up on the screen when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight, the crucifixion of Jesus, saw what took place. They beat their breasts and then they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. And so when everyone else leaves, the women are still there. Um, It's significant here. They've followed him from Galilee. That's a big journey. Perhaps they all came down as a group from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover. Perhaps they were just following him wherever it was that he went. And so they find themselves outside of Jerusalem looking at Jesus on the cross. And so when you hear the, uh, perhaps you've heard people say, preachers say, you might have heard me say, uh, Jesus is all alone there on the cross that his friends have deserted him. It's not true. Jesus' male friends had deserted him. And the women are still there, supporting him, watching him. And and as we continue, they don't leave after a little while. Rather, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, they followed Joseph, who took the body of Jesus and uh, buried it. And they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. They went home, prepared spices and perfumes. And and so we, we see that it's the women that know where the body of Jesus is. So when Peter and John are going to run to the tomb the next day, they didn't even know where the tomb was because they hadn't been there. It was the women that hung around and waited to see where the body of Jesus was left. And then 
not satisfied with that, they go home, they go back to wherever they're staying, and they prepare the spices and the perfumes that they're going to put on the body uh, to, to keep it uh, as pleasant as possible for as long as possible. And, and then it's the women who come the next morning. Um, they come uh, to the tomb, and they discover that the tomb is empty on Sunday, Sunday morning. And it's the women who go and then tell the apostles that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And we know that these are the same women as those that we read about in Luke chapter 8 because we're given their names. Or at least two of them are, right? Do you recognize uh, Mary Magdalene and Joanna? Two, Two of the same. And there's no reason to think that there aren't others that are just permanent parts of that group also. Uh, here it mentions Mary, the mother of James, uh, probably not James and John, but James, the other apostle. There were two of two Jameses, um, and the others with them. So it's not, again, it's not just a small group of two or three. Um, so back in Luke chapter if we kept reading beyond where we stopped in verse 3, we'd find Jesus telling the parable of the seed that falls in different kind of soil. And he encourages his listeners to be the soil that receives the word, receives his word, and listens to his words, that internalizes the words, believes them, accepts them, and, and then bears fruit, lives, uh, live lives that demonstrate faith, in God. And, and in my mind, uh, when I look at these three sections, we have the woman who uh, anoints Jesus' feet. We have this group of women that follow Jesus. And then we have this parable about the, uh, the seeds and the, and the soil and how they go. And, and it looks to me kind of like a progression. That, that with this first uh, woman, we see somebody who is just so grateful that she has been forgiven. Uh, she comes to Jesus because of the impact that he's had on her. She's not hoping that if she puts perfume on his feet that um, he'll forgive her. She's already experienced that forgiveness or experienced that healing. And perhaps this is what the, uh, this other group of women, it gives a little insight into what they felt. Because they also had been healed and had evil spirits cast out of them. Mary Magdalene had seven. And so we get a glimpse with this woman that anoints Jesus' feet of uh, sort of the joy, the the love, the motivation that this other group of women have towards Jesus. But she's still uncertain. Uh, In in Luke 7, Jesus um, tells her a couple of times there at the end... um, He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't think, as I read it, I don't think he's saying, I am now at this moment forgiving your sins. He's reassuring her that whatever had happened earlier, whatever it was that motivated this great love for Jesus, this great affection that she wants to worship him in this way, that 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 was good enough, that that, uh, that, that her sins were forgiven that her faith had saved her. And so his, 
He's affirming this for her at this point in time. She needed that reassurance. And so she's early in her understanding of who Jesus is, but yet it means so much to her. This other group of women are a little further along, right? Um, that They also are giving their, their resources. The woman gave expensive perfume, uh, but these, the group of women are giving out of their resources to support the, the physical needs, the mundane, ordinary needs of Jesus and the Twelve as they go around uh, sharing the good news of the kingdom of heaven with the, the towns and villages in Galilee. And so, uh, but, but they make a bigger commitment even. I mean, the woman that anoints Jesus' feet takes a risk because she goes into a Pharisee's house. She gets labeled a sinful woman. You know, she's, she's out of her comfort zone. But uh, the, the women that follow Jesus are making a more long-term commitment uh, to, to Jesus. And, and we see that their faith is, is, uh, carries through all the way to the cross and beyond. Right? And, and so when we then come to the story of the, uh, the grain, the story of the seeds and the soil, what we have are these two stories about the women uh, that we see the, the, the fruitfulness of faith. That not, neither of them said, oh great, I'm healed. I mean, we can think of the story of the ten lepers where Jesus encounters these lepers and he heals them and, and they go off and they, they're cleansed, they get back into society and nine of them don't return. Only one comes back and says thank you. Right? They kind of said, oh, well, they took it for granted. They were, maybe they were just so happy, but, but they, they didn't allow that encounter with Jesus to um, increase their loyalty or their allegiance, their commitment to following him or hearing his message. They just celebrated their good fortune that they encountered somebody who could heal them, except for the one. But these women have encountered the goodness, the grace, the, the power, the love of Jesus, and it's changed their life and they're committed to following him. And so we see that the, the soil the, that his words, his actions have landed on in their lives is indeed the good soil. And, and that springing up out of that are these fruits, this, uh, this harvest of behavior that comes because of their experience, because of their encounter with, with God. Um, and, and so I think that the, the three stories uh, can inform one another. These, these three passages uh, help give us a, a fuller picture of how we relate to Jesus. Their healing encounter with Jesus changed their lives. And they demonstrate their faith as they follow him even to the cross. And so I want to just suggest to you today that if you're a person of faith, and Jesus has changed your life too. And, and I'd encourage you uh, this week to consider, maybe even to write down how has, what has Jesus done for you? Two things. Write down what has Jesus done for you? And the second thing is how has that changed your life? In what ways is your faith expressed? In what ways is the Word of God bearing fruit in your life? 
how do you, uh, what do you do today only because of your relationship with Jesus? What do you do today and tomorrow and the next day only because of your relationship with Jesus? Are you the soil where God's word has grown and produced fruit? I believe that Jesus continues to change lives. That our encounters with him um, give birth to faith. But as that parable of the, the sower or the soils tell us, some people will recognize it, some people will not. And so as we go through that exercise of considering the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, uh, it goes back to that, uh, the encounter in chapter 7. Because Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, he didn't say, you're a dreadful sinner. He just said, those who have been forgiven little will love little. And so the more that we appreciate that we need Jesus in our lives, the more that we appreciate he's changed our lives, the more we recognize that we need forgiven, the more that we will love Jesus. And so sometimes maybe we get in a way of thinking, yes, I love Jesus. Oh, that's good. But if we can't think of the difference he's made, maybe we don't love him as much as we think we do or as much as we want to. Those women left their homes, left their kitchens, took their pocketbook with them, paid for Jesus' expenses, followed him from town to town, and ultimately to the cross. We're uh, going to be led in a song in just a moment. If you have a prayer request at this time, if it's written on a card, uh, just hold it up. We'll uh, collect those and, uh, uh, during this, this song. So thank you, Steve.